It is really good to be here tonight with you. Um, I bring greetings from Bellingham Covenant Church, which I used to say from the mothership, but I realize that's not really, I mean, we, we planted this church, but now you are truly a sister church in Christ, and it's a pleasure to be here. And I also want to thank you for being uh, just a wonderful church for my kids and my grandchildren here. Uh, you have always welcomed me well, and it's a privilege and a pleasure to be here tonight with you. Let's pray together. Lord God, open our minds to truly hear you through your word, and open our eyes to see you in our midst. Open our hearts to be willing to be changed. For your glory, we pray. Amen. So as we move into this Easter season, it seemed appropriate um, to talk about the church. That's where Christ has chosen to abide. But it feels a little bit like I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> because you're here. You get that there is something important about church. But it can really be easy to slide into that mentality that church is just what we do on Sunday nights. This is just our routine of life. We can get so wrapped up in doing church stuff that we forget what it means to be the church. We forget the wonder of it and we forget what God really intends for us and how do we live that out. So COVID has done a number on the church, hasn't it? <laughs> One study looked at attendance changes from January 2020, so before COVID began, to August 2021. And 65% of the churches in the U.S. at the second time have 50 to 90% less people coming. So 65% of the churches, less than half of the people have come back. That's sobering. You may have heard of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who don't identify with any religious affiliation and never have. And then we have the duns, D-O-N-E-S, who They've left the church for a whole variety of reasons. They're disillusioned and just opting out, or they maybe um, just don't want to be identified with the church anymore, or church just isn't their thing, they say. They may be questioning not just church, but who God is, and what's the point. Now recently, there was a Christianity Today article that suggested we now have the UMMS, U-M-M-M-M-M-S. <laughs> and these are the folks that they say, I still have a strong commitment to Jesus, and I still desire to be a part of the church, but they're not active in any local congregation. They may have stopped going to church during COVID, or they just never picked the ball back up again, or they may dip in online to one or a variety of churches, but they don't engage with the local community of faith. Is it okay to go it alone? Is it okay to fly solo? I know for many it was 
and it still is excruciating to have to be at home. They would love to be here if they could. And I admit, it was pretty sweet, even as a pastor, to film my bits early and to stay at home and watch church on TV and sip my tea and not have any responsibilities, not having to interact, not having to deal with the sin of my neighbors or the sin of the corporate body. My own sin was quite enough to deal with. It takes energy to be in community. It takes time to be present. You don't have control of the interactions that you have, and sometimes they can be a bit awkward. I mean, isn't that the truth? It can be a bit awkward or even unpleasant. So why go to church? What is the church, and why does it matter? So now I'm going to read our text for tonight. And I hope that you can just kind of relax and let these words soak in. This is 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, and verse 9. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 9 is, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We often read our Bibles individually. We read it like it's written to us personally, and and there's a richness, a richness in that. But we forget that most often that it was written to a church, sometimes a specific congregation, but it was written to a community of believers. So now I have asked some helpers to come and help me, and this is your chance to come forward. Thank you. And... um, I promised them that I wouldn't make them do anything humiliating or embarrassing. So they're just going to help illustrate something. So if you'd each take a brick, and for those online, if you can't see, each person is taking a brick, and then they're going to spread out around somewhere around the front of the sanctuary, apart from one another. Good job. And I love that kids are part of this because they are the church. This is awesome. And my grandkids are involved, so that's pretty special too. So they're just going to spread out here. That's great. Now, those of you who have bricks, would you just hold them up in the air so everybody can see them? Now, it's obvious that these are just bricks. They have no life in them whatsoever. And each one is separate from the others. They're all alone. Now imagine that this brick behind me, and I'm going to move to the side, this big brick up here, this is our Christ stone. This is the living stone, the one rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He died on the cross, taking away our sins, making, us, making that way for us to be with God. Now as we 
come to Christ the cornerstone and we align our lives with him, we become our true selves, don't we? we he makes the way for us to be who we're truly, truly called to be. So now, my helpers, would you bring the stones back up and join them to the Christ stone, and I'll just keep kind of moving over here. And I've asked them to just kind of form a little wall. Because as we come to Christ, the living stone, our cornerstone, we become more. We become more than when we can possibly be on our own. We become a wall. We become a building. We become a holy, holy temple. We become that spiritual house. Ephesians that we read earlier says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and in him we become a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling in which God lives in his spirit. Thank you, kids. <laughs> Thank you, helpers. We, together, together become God's holy temple, the place where the almighty God has chosen to dwell. Let that one sit for a bit. This is the place where he has chosen to hang out, where he has chosen to make his home. Without Christ, we're just inanimate bricks off there on our own, but as we come to Christ, as we come to Christ, we become his temple, the place, the place where he lives, where he moves, and where God is made known. Together in Christ, we become something supernatural, something beyond ourselves, and we're not just bricks anymore. Now, in the Old Testament, God resided in the temple, didn't he? The priests were the only ones who had access and the only ones that could come into the presence of Yahweh. But now we, we are the temple and we are the priesthood. Jewish men thanked God daily that they were not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. And we hear this and we wince and we think, oh, how arrogant, how demeaning. But slaves, Gentiles, and women didn't have the same religious privileges that a free Jewish male had. They could not enter those inner parts of the temple. They could not go where the priests ministered, and they were excluded, punishable by death. Jewish men expressed their gratitude daily, daily, that they could enter the temple, that they could be where the priests served, and that they could be in the presence of Yahweh. But now, because of what Christ has done for us, there's no Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul uses those same groups of people that they used in their daily prayer. And now in Christ, there's no exclusions. No exclusions. We are all one. And not only are we allowed to enter the presence of God, but the presence of God has entered us. None of these bricks, none of these bricks are better than the others. Together, together we are being built into a spiritual house to be the holy priesthood. The priests of the Old Testament, they were the intermediaries 
between God and humanity. They brought people to God through sacrifices and intercession, and they brought God to people by being the visible representation of God. And now we are set apart as his priesthood. We represent God to the world, and we bring the world to God. We intercede, lifting the burdens of those that we love and care about, and we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Pastor Chris is not the only priest here. Each one of you is a part of the God's holy priesthood, set apart to offer spiritual sacrifices. We don't offer lambs and doves like they did back then, but we offer a sacrifice of praise, praising God for with all that we say. And we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, all of our lives honoring God with all that we do. As priests, we give all that we are, all that we say and do, for God's purposes and God's glory. So together, we are the place where God dwells, and we are his holy priesthood. And in verse nine, it says, we are also God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We don't have time to talk about all of those in in detail, but Peter, the writer, is just piling on the languages and the images that were used in the Old Testament to describe his nation, Israel. And in the text that we read earlier, when Moses went up to Sinai, God, God told him to tell the people, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. For Israel, there is a caveat. If you obey, then you will be. And they blew it. They couldn't do it. But now as we come to Christ, finding the forgiveness that we have in him and his death on the cross, we are people of the resurrection, people of the living Christ who dwells in us. We participate in a new covenant, the new covenant of Christ's blood that we hear each time we come to communion. Christ, Christ is our cornerstone, and we are now his chosen people, his royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be God's people? His chosen. How does God feel about us? How does he act towards us? The Old Testament describes God's heart for his people. And you might just want to shut your eyes and let these words just sink deep into you. Because we are God's precious treasure. He delights over us. With all our stumbling and bumbling around, God still sees us. He still finds us invaluable, and he delights in who we are. His eye is upon us. He watches over us, not condemning, not trying to catch us in doing something wrong, but watching with compassion and grace, desiring to protect and care for us. God carries us in his arms and holds us in the palm of his hand. And he calls us his beloved. We are cherished. We are the apple of his eye. 
He is jealous for us, not wanting anything to steal us from his love. He cares for us as a husband adores and delights in his wife, as the perfect father loves and nurtures his son or daughter, as the farmer tends his vineyard and as the good shepherd cares for his sheep. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We will lack nothing because he is good and compassionate and provides for our needs. He shows us his favor, his affection, his unfailing love, and he generously pours out his blessings upon us. Breathe that in. That is truth. We are God's own, his beloved, the place where he chooses to dwell. Together, together, we are God's family, his body, his temple, his priesthood, together. Whether we like church or not, whether we're able to come to church or not, this is the truth of who we are. It's thrilling and it's a bit terrifying. When someone decides to opt out, they miss out from experiencing the the wonder and the fullness of God's love and his favor and his glory. And we all miss out. A living stone is missing. (laughs) A piece of the body is absent and not functioning and that affects everyone. It reminds me of the, the game, the Jenga tower game. And if you pull one piece away, the tower stays standing, but it's just not quite as strong. And as you continue to peel, pull those pieces out, it becomes more and more precarious. Now that's exciting as a game, but it's not a great place for the church to be. <laughs> but God, God is not lessened by our absence. He is still infinitely powerful, and he is still victorious, and his church will endure. Whether we show up or not, the tower is not going to fall. But how we express his image to our world, that's diminished. And how we live as a people together, well, the light is dimmed. The church is not a fun social organization, It's not just a place to come and find friends or for your kids to pick up positive moral values. It's not just a place offering justice and mercy ministries. These things are good and they happen in a healthy church. But we are so much more than that. We are God's temple. Together, the place where he is present, where he lives, where where we bring God to our world and and we bring our world to God. It's an incomprehensible privilege and gift. But it also calls for a response. And in verse nine it says, you are these things that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We were just bricks off on our own. We had no possibility of spiritual fruit or vitality. We had no hope beyond what we see around us, and we had no hope for what was beyond this life. But through Christ, 
his death and resurrection. God has created us to be his own, giving us purpose and meaning, giving us true life now and hope for the future. We have so much to praise him for. We're chosen and set apart from bricks to living stones, from darkness to light. How can we not offer ourselves as living sacrifices, praising him with all we say and do? It's not out of obligation, but simply surrendering to his love. It's not like a teenager who obeys just enough that until they move out of the house just to get by. But I think of our two-year-old granddaughter, who's in that delightful phase right now where she hasn't figured out the difference between chores and games. They just in, she just enjoys being with daddy, just enjoys responding to his love. So how do we live out this reality as a people? How do we declare his praise? I'm just gonna offer a few thoughts. First, we give space to recognize who God is and what he's done. This takes time. You can't just do it and check it off the list, can you? That's why we come together in worship. That's why we share our lives together. That's why we pray. That's why we spend time in the word. We give space to remind one another who God is and what's the point in that us being together. We need to give language, language to help us to know God better and to embrace his purposes for us and through us. We give space for these truths to truly take root and to seep into our very bones and become so much a part of us that that's what we live out of. Then, then praise will be the natural result. And second, we show up. And this is more than just showing up at church. It's being really present to God, to ourselves, to the people we live with, to our community, It sounds so easy, just show up. (laughs) But it's way harder. It means we have to make margins in our lives so that we can breathe. We have to get the rest that we need so we can have the energy to really be where we are. I admire you all for being at church on a Sunday night. That would be tough for me, I think, every week, the end of the weekend. But bless you, you're here and you're worshiping. And I get that this is tough when you have a busy, active family. I lived it, (laughs) and I didn't always do it very well. And that was before smartphones and social media and all that stuff. You have to be ruthless in prioritizing how you use your time, and it means up giving good things, giving up those good things for yourself, but also for your kids, and sometimes that's tough. It also means minimizing those things that dull our senses, the the time on our phones, the things that we choose to use to distract us and to escape, the things that lull us into an apathy and an ennui. We need to throw off the things that hinder (laughs) and the sin that so easily entangles and cultivate those things that help us to truly be present to be alert, to be awake, to be able to notice and to wonder. Things that I have found that help me to show up are going for a walk, having good conversation, taking time just to breathe in my hammock chair on the porch, 
gardening, getting my hands dirty and taking time to notice the beauty around me, reading a really great book, snuggling with my grandkids, giving and receiving spiritual direction, which is simply a ministry of companionship, helping us to be more aware of God and his movement in our lives. These are things that help me to show up to my life, and to truly be present. What helps you? What helps you to be attentive to God, to yourselves, to those around you? How can you cultivate showing up? We give space to know and love God. We show up to our life and the people in it. And third, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Why does God have you where you are? In your family, in your church, in your school, in your workplace, in this community. Who is there for you to pray for, to serve and to bless? Who are you there to show Christ to? As Lettered Streets Covenant Church, I know that you have a commitment to this neighborhood. And this is a place that you're called to pray for and to bless and to serve and to show Christ to. But are there others beyond this neighborhood that this church may be called to share Christ with? How can you declare God's praises with the words that you speak and the, with your lives in the places where God has put each one of you? This doesn't mean that we have it all together. I just wanted to note that the verbs in this text are in a continuous sense. So in verse four, it's the idea, as you continually come to Christ, the living stone. And in verse five, you are continually being built into a spiritual house. We are people coming to Christ. We are being built. We are in process. When I was getting ready for this sermon, I borrowed some bricks from my son, Brian, who many of you know. And his bricks came from his backyard and had been sitting in the mud and they were filthy and covered with muck and mud and moss. And you can see that maybe from here that there's still some of the mortar from wherever they used to be. (laughs) And some of the bricks were chipped and broken And I tried to kind of clean them up a little bit because I thought I didn't want to make a big mess in your sanctuary. And finally I decided, ugh, I need to just get clean bricks because these are just way too filthy. But the reality is those old, chipped, broken, mossy, muddy, mucky bricks would have been a much better illustration. (laughs) Because we come in all our mess. And sometimes that dirt does get strewn around as much as we might try to clean ourselves up for Sunday. It's just the reality. You may have doubts about who God is and whether you want to be a part of a church, any church. You may be mad at church at how you've seen people of the church act. You may have had to deal with the muck and the mud and the broken bits and feel wounded and rejected. We are just people coming to Christ, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how do we live this out and what it means to be his people. 
and we often fail miserably. We get it wrong. We don't make space, we don't show up, and we, we don't offer our lives sacrificially. We don't represent Christ well. But a solitary Christian is an impossibility, and biblically, it's an absurdity. To be a Christian means you're coming to Christ and like living stones being built together into a spiritual house. Built together into God's dwelling place that we may declare his praises. It's a mystery and it's powerful and it's humbling. Now, As we close, I just wanted to take a moment for you to rest in that truth that God is here He is in us, among us, and we are his chosen people, his dwelling place. And take time for a moment to respond however you need to respond. And in a few minutes, I'll close us with prayer. Holy, loving God, I feel a bit in awe, overwhelmed, convicted, grateful. We praise you and thank you for your mercy to call us your own and that you have chosen us to be the place where you make your home. But we confess that we we are often poor representatives of you. Our prayers are weak, our faith is shallow, and our service is often mm, self-serving. In your mercy, help us to give space for being with you, to space to acknowledge and worship you and all that you have done for us. And help us to tr- truly show up to you and to our own lives, to the people around us. Show us what we need to let go of and what we need to cultivate to be able to be fully present to what matters. And we ask that you would give us courage and willingness to offer ourselves, our words, our time, our energy, all that we are, for your purposes and praise. Give us eyes to see the opportunities and hearts ready to respond. May all that we say and do bring praise and honor to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.